Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James. This is the show that takes a weekly look at everything to do with Fulham FC. Joining me in the studio this evening is Ben Jarman and Jack Collins. Thank you for joining me, gentlemen. Thank you for us. Well, the injury crisis continues. Uh, Farrell Monk fast becoming the Ryan Fredericks of this podcast. <laughs> Once again, cannot make it in because uh, of his knee injury. Hopefully we'll see him back uh, in a couple of weeks. But uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, it's been another kind of low-key couple of games for Fulham. Not much to talk about. We might be uh, scratching for material. I jest, of course, because that flipping QPR game, uh, I think we are all still reeling. So let's dive straight into it. I've got an interesting game, note to play with you later that involves this... And this. <laughs> and the, wait. Ch- the chaps are looking at me quite scared as to what's going to happen. It's really nothing to worry about this game. It's good. It's good. I promise it's good. But first, let's have a look at Queen's Park Rangers. It was our sixth league game without a win. Two missed penalties, two open goals, hit the bar and still lost 2-1 to QPR and our first defeat to them since the 80s. Uh, let's dive straight into it. What um, do we think the consequences of losing that game are? I mean... Have you ever seen anything like it? No, not quite. I, again, I feel like the problem is that we weren't that bad. We, you know, we were quite good. I think I, I um, I don't think anyone can really argue with you that week, apart from the fact we just didn't take our chances. I was going to ask you why you thought we lost, but it's a pretty simple explanation. I don't think that's really up for debate as to why we didn't win on Saturday. Well, I think the chance creation is definitely there, isn't it? I mean, we create chance after chance. We just need to. Take them. At In some fairness, point. That, that's an improvement because you know at least we're creating them now. Two yeah. weeks away, we didn't create anything. So although I thought I thought Queen's Park Rangers were actually particularly poor, um, and I really don't think that they have any particularly good players apart from Sherry. I really do. I really think that that's a game that we will look back on as one of the ones that we should have absolutely taken three points and will regret not taking three points. And more than you know, where Bristol City, we were okay and they were good. Yeah, we, weren't we were outplayed. Out, we were outplayed by a better side, and this weekend we were robbed. And I remember my brother was there with my brother, and on 85 minutes, he turned to me and goes, they're going to rob a point here. And then, you know. See, and the 80th minute, um, and they were coming on top in those last 15 minutes. Uh, I was with Farrell uh, on Saturday. He made it to the game. He can't make it to the podcast. Uh, and I said to him, there's only one winner here, and it ain't us. I can just see it. Yeah. After all those chance missed, uh, chances missed, I, I, I completely only saw one winner and then the goal from Silla, surprise, surprise, uh, came a few minutes later. It's a brilliant ball in fairness. Yeah. Although I'm not sure yeah. not sure why we're not getting out to these wide players. I think again. The, the one of the most you know, completely obvious things we've picked up from the first few games is that our back line tends to concede either two goals. Firstly, our full-backs fall asleep and they get done at the back post as they did against... Forest and they did against uh, QPR the second goal or they don't get out to the edge of the box quick enough like they did against Burton and they did for the first goal here at QPR yeah. like, there is no leadership in that back four whatsoever going forward we look brilliant at times absolutely outstanding going at the back out of possession, out of possession our pressing's bad and our leadership in terms of the back four is absolutely horrendous at times we look completely off in terms of balance well, you mentioned the pressing, and I noticed this on Saturday. We seem to have this fluid attacking style, and all of our front players switch positions all the time. They might they, they chat interchange, but do you think they don't know their roles when they then lose the ball and they've got to get back into position, and they find themselves on um, alien parts of the pitch and don't exactly know who's supposed to be where? Have we not quite uh, got the understanding between those attacking players as to exactly who does what when we lose possession? In their half, it might come yeah. back to the point that we don't have any width again. And you know, I keep banging on about this, and I think I sound like a broken record. But 
realistically, if you don't have any width and you don't know who's playing wide, is anyone going to get back and support your your fullbacks who are being dragged all over the place? And I don't think we have that kind of back and forth running from, you know, down the wings. And I had a lot of complaints when Kearney came off for Cabano, but I thought that it might, it didn't, but I thought that it might force our wingers to stay wide and one with Smith on and two, to get back and start, you know, covering covering the fullbacks because... And I thought Scott Malone was excellent on. I thought Scott Malone was excellent on the on the weekend. But again, it's you know him that needs to be getting out to to Sherry on that on that last bit to to, to stop that cross coming in because the you know once the ball's in the area and in that zone and you know it's a delicious ball and you know you're stri- you want your strikers to be getting on the end of those and he was always going to gamble but there's no way that on 87 minutes that ball should be coming into your box unchallenged unchecked. I, I really feel like this year Malone and Odoi are going to be the the people that are going to get the most abuse from the fans if there is any if there's going to be any just simply because they are consistently left in one-on-one situations and there's nothing much they can do about being in the situation they're in um, other than the fact that they can't actually rely on either our holding midfielders or our wide players to to help them for me if we're going to have interchanging positions it should just be the top four i.e. the three attacking midfielders and Martin or Smith or Woodrow whoever plays with the two holding and those holding midfielders for me it has to one of them has to be like a breaker like a Kante who can just stop the play and pass it on and one of them who's a runner slightly more creative and I think we we got that balance right in there sort of this weekend with um, Tunnicliffe and Parker I thought Parker absolutely looked absolutely brilliant at times very very inspired it was man of the match for me and I think absolutely. for many fans of the game yeah and you look at Tottenham versus City this weekend and Tottenham really, really looked organised. They know how to press and they're free-flowing and fluid in attack as well and they're so well-drilled. Fulham, on the other hand, are fluid in attack but so disorganised out of possession. We don't take any um, impetus. Well, I thought that... I agree with Jack. I don't think QPR were particularly impressive at all. I thought they were quite poor. But they still managed to create a lot of chances and it's got to be that disorganisation from us that allows them, of any team, that's certainly not going to be the most impressive side that we face this season, to come to the cottage and create plenty of chances and they finished a couple of them and obviously we were punished for not finishing our own and that is the main reason I still believe we lost. It could have been 4-2, 5-2, but they still got two. Yeah. And they missed a couple of other... Uh, half chances as well as Queen's Park Rangers. It, it certainly wasn't that they, it was a complete smash and grab and they, it was their only attacks. They had half a decent penalty shot turned down as well, which mm-hmm. I thought was, was, was given. Yeah. And, you know, the ref ran over and then did the old clear movement. I was yeah. like, well, that's, you know, I thought, you're really I, putting the heart attack measures on me at this point. <laughs> like, you know. Do you think that one of our problems is that when we do attack, we turn, tend to flood forward a lot? And the way we're set up is that we hold the ball quite far up the pitch. I thought so they love def- a bomb yeah, on, don't they? They love yeah, a bomb right. on. And everyone goes and it leaves us exposed. And if anyone wants to drop back like Burton did and like QPR did do at times, on the counter, we're very much exposed. Do you think that's a problem? Yeah, it might be. I I mean, I think that it, it comes back to if we're, you know, the fullbacks feel the need to bomb around there because there's no one else out there and it mm. it's, you know, they're looking for the spread. And then therefore, when it goes, because also much as Parker, like you were saying, Parker's the breaker in there as such and not the runner. And both of those players, Parker loves to get forward. Like, mm. even if he's not the most attack-minded player in the world, Parker will sit ahead of the halfway line. And if you've got both fullbacks gone, it leaves literally two at the back. Mm. And I don't think we necessarily caught, got caught on the counter as such, but I do think that there's, there's room for it and there's room that we could be caught on the counter. And, you know, that's obviously quite a scary prospect when you're playing against teams with, you know, pace and power up front and... I think that we might have got a bit, you know, lucky with who we've played necessarily with that setup going on, mm. um, and it could, you know, really backfire on us and start to to end in some heavy ones. On the other hand, I think the way that we're playing, if we click, I reckon we could, you know, do some damage to teams. We could, you know, could, we could be looking at a few four or five nils yeah. in in here if it does go right. Yeah. I find it quite comforting that. At least it looks like we have a plan. We have an idea. Yeah. We have a way that we want to play and the play- players are trying to buy into it. Mm-hmm. 
I just think it's a bit of a case of we haven't quite worked out exactly how to play it and also how to be organised enough that when we lose the ball that we're able to shut teams out. So I'm hopeful that in maybe half a dozen games we might have to go through a few more bad results but eventually this might click. And that's why I think it's so important that really the fans kind of stay on Slavisa's side because this is a more organised uh, Fulham team than I think that we've seen in years. Yeah, I'm not worried. Definitely. I'm not worried about us, which is weird considering we haven't won in seven. I think you've got so much talent in there. I think the, op- the optimal word here is balance. Yeah. We need to find it. And it's so easy to say you need to find a balance, but in practice, it's much harder. But we saw lots of times, I think under Kit particularly, I never really thought Fulham had a way of playing under Kit. No, it just oh, seems a clear identity now. Yeah, and that's got to be much better. It just is a case of he's got a, a lot of new players and they've got to work out how to play Jukanovic's system uh, without being exposed at the back. I thought at the front we looked really good. I really do. I and, mean, you know, yeah. obviously we, we didn't score, but. And that is the main job, and obviously there's time to criticise that. But I've, I, I was thinking every time we broke, we looked like we were going to score. Yeah. And I tell you who was brilliant was Piazum. Mm, Absolutely yeah. sensational. Mm. And did something that no one else did and held his position and held his line. And I really did, I really do rate him. I think he's going to become a key, a key cog. Yeah, for a player of his age, he's fantastically mature and has a really good understanding of the way the game should be played. The only thing I thought about Piazon is I think he was partly responsible for the first goal because I don't think he tracked back and I think he left Connor Washington free and I just happened to have a good view of it from where I was in the Johnny Haynes and he kind of was just standing around watching Connor Washington bomb on into the box and then it was free and he had a shot, obviously it was deflected and it was a bit of an unfortunate goal to concede. So I personally think, although I think Piazon was brilliant going forward, I still think he has got a lot to learn. Work. Uh, when we lose the ball and we've got to reorganise. Let's have a look did, at... Sorry. Just a quick one on that first goal. Did, I mean, it might have just been me, but did anyone think Button really should have done a lot better? Yeah. I, it sort of bobbled over. I know it took yeah, a deflection, but, but he deflection. also then... It was quite a weak shot to begin with. It took a deflection which slowed the ball down even further and it sort of bobbled on him and he got a sort of a hand on it and didn't push the ball out of goal, just sort of like let it loop over him. I, I really did think it was poor. Mm. And, you know, then he was shouting at people afterwards and I was a bit like, well... I'm sure about that, David. Yeah. I yeah. always just feel unfortunate when it is a deflection, though. You've just yeah, no, you, you I know, know it's, I know it's hard, and but I just re- I, I remember thinking, is it just me? And I remember seeing the people around me being like, "What's Button doing?" And it was sort of one of those. Mm, but interesting. Um, yeah, there's a lot of calls for Bettinelli to to get looking now. Mm. Well, I mean, it is strange, and I've been meaning to mention this uh, for a few weeks. How Yorinan played in the cup, and Bettinelli seems to have been almost frozen out weirdly, and I really rate Bettinelli and I think when he came back at the end of last season and was a replacement for Lonergan we did improve a lot it seems um, slightly unjustified to me that he's not only not first choice but it doesn't even seem to be second choice for Slavisa I think the maybe the defence that you can have there is that I think Slavisa wants to look at it as having two first team keepers who are competing for the shirt and this is the first week in fairness that I've thought you know Button's distribution hasn't been great mm. but this is the first week where I've gone nah not, not good enough and I think maybe if, if he wants two, compete, two competing for that shirt and Button hasn't really done anything to lose it what he was trying to play is that second string in the cup is not to use yeah. first team players I think that might be the way he looked at it and I think maybe when we get to the FA Cup he might look at that slightly differently considering Button hasn't done apart from this week anything to justify being dropped yeah he's made some fantastic saves the only thing as you say that he really lacks is distribution yeah and if we're going to look to play out the back like we are looking like we did at the first few weeks of the season not so much now then I think distribution's key and if I was an opposing manager scouting that game or even our last few games watching Button, I would tell the striker to press Button every single time. Yeah. I, I, I am convinced this season that we'll, we will concede a goal through Button miscontrolling it and the striker pouncing or, or a bad pass or something. Edwin van der Sar-esque. Yes, against... Uh, was it, uh, it was Reyes? Arsenal, or was it Reyes? Or, I think one of them was Reyes and then I think three years later he did it and almost did it again against Jeremy Aladiadier. Mm. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I think he might have got away with that one but he definitely lost it to Reyes yeah so looking forward and um, the chances that we missed is there anything Jukanovic can do about it so uh, I'm just thinking back obviously there was the two missed penalties and might ask you who you'd have to take penalties but those two chances uh, first one missed by Chris Martin and the second one by Cabano surely there is nothing else that once the visa sends them over the white line 
there's no sh- there's no training exercise in the world that can fix that, is there? No, no, in essence, no. It's just being in that situation and having a proper striker who knows how to compose himself in that situation. I think for the first, there's a there's a point where Martin is through one on one with Piazon and Piazon sets him up and Martin is completely off balance. It is it would be. He needed to hit that with his left foot. I yeah. don't know why he went for it. With I his don't right. know why he's gone. He could for have his taken right, a touch. He's not off balance. I don't yeah. think he's expecting the ball. Yeah, and That's I read it, and also I've got a, a correct, but I also don't think that maybe I've looked it back, and it, it might be the right option to pass. Hmm. But you know, it's a derby game. You're looking, you know, you're a new player if you're Piazon, and you're looking to make your mark with with a new club. I don't see any situation in that. In you know, I don't see any reason in that situation why you wouldn't shoot. No, uh, I, no, I just don't understand it. Even if he goes round Smithies or tries to go round Smithies, Martin's decoy run. You know, it's enough anything, to draw that defender. It's away. enough to draw the defender, and also it allows it allows Piazon to go round the keeper if he wants, because the keeper has to then commit. Yeah. So I think that I don't think Martin's expecting the ball. What I do think is when he gets the ball, he take he should take a touch. He's, mm-hmm. he's gone he's gone mad trying to hit that first time. Yeah. But I don't think it's completely his fault. I don't think. I think it's either of their faults, to be honest. I think they've had a mix-up in communication. I think if you look at Martin's stats over the past three or four years, I know stats don't tell the full story, but when he tends to score one, that's when it seems to absolutely fly off the handle for him. He'll score in consecutive games. Okay, It's always had that with Derby. If he doesn't score over a long period of time, he sort, you sort of see him create less and less. As soon as he scores one, his creation stats fly up off the chart. And his goals get more and more consecutive over a period of time to a point where he becomes almost unplayable and then he sort of hits a drought again. And this is why... a confident striker. Of any, any key centre forward, you're going to want a higher confidence striker. Yep. And this is why I was very surprised he didn't take the first penalty. Completely agreed. I mean, he took penalties for Derby, was pretty... I don't know the exact stats, but from what I know, he didn't miss many. He had Depending. a fairly decent record. Kearney's never really taken penalties for us it was always Ross McCormack I don't know if he had pedigree taking them at Blackburn but I just thought that was the obvious choice that Chris Martin would take that penalty A because he's a decent penalty taker but B give him a penalty give him a goal and then he's off the mark exactly and I think we talked about this with Woodrow a couple of weeks ago is that his body language was so this is Kenny I'm talking about his body language was so blatant as to where he's going to put that ball Smithy's just you know, had to pick it out. You know, had to had to push the ball around the post. Like, also, Smithies has late. an unbelievable penalty saving record. Mm. I don't know if anyone else has seen this, but I I was reading match reports today, and I was I was reading a QPR one, which was a really bizarre read. And uh, I'll, I'll send you. A, we'll put a link on the on the Twitter maybe. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, it's a really bizarre read because they're like, oh, we completely deserve the win. And I was reading like, you're, you're watching a different game, like, surely. But one of their things was they were talking about Smithy's penalty saving record, and it's something like unbelievable. Like he saved six out of nine in in his really? in last two seasons, um, which is mad. Mm. Like no one, no one has that kind of record. No. Well, actually, saying that, there's a keep, keeper for Valencia called Diego Alves, and he's faced something like thirty two penalties in La Liga. He saved twenty two of them. Goodness to, to me! All, to all sides and all corners as well. The good thing is, once a keeper has got that kind of record, then it becomes a mental game as much as the keeper's ability. You've got a penalty here against someone that saves over 50% of penalties. Mm. That must, in a striker's... And that will be, I'm sure, very well known. Maybe maybe Smithies, maybe not quite as well well known amongst the players. But... um, yeah, that is, it's half the battle when you start saving lots of penalties and the strikers will crumble in front of you. Mm. I so don't you, think TC's hit a very good penalty there either. That wasn't great a penalty, yeah, you're, you're right there. And, and Sonny Aluko, I mean... <sighs> the guy just needs to catch a break, doesn't he? It's probably one of the most <laughs> unluckiest finishes I've ever seen in <laughs> following football. I feel a bit sorry for him. I feel like I'm, I'm quite mixed about this penalty because one of two things. One... It's not that bad a penalty. It's not. He's not missed. No. You know, he's not actually missed the goal. Like if that goes in, everyone's like brilliant penalty. Absolutely. You know, if it comes off the inside of the, you know, the inside of the post and goes in, everyone's been. Mm. But that said, ninety fifth minute, you whack the ball straight down the middle. Yeah. Well, that was like everyone around the middle. Me. Please, just down the middle, because Smithies has to dive. He can't. He yeah. can't stand in the middle. You look like an idiot. Someone's just got to go. 
you know, give the you ball lash it, give you? the ball to Ragnar Sigurdsson there, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> In that situation, just give the ball to Sigurdsson. Like, he will just whack the ball down the middle and he will score. Yeah, he will. Because it was a get-out-of-jail-free get card, wasn't it? I mean, it was a stupid decision from the Queen's Park Rangers defender on Hosabed. I can't remember who gave away the penalty, maybe Kulka? Probably Carl Henry. One of the worst footballers I've ever seen. <laughs> but it really was. You know, we'd thrown the game away late. It didn't look like we were actually going to get back into the game, I didn't think. And then suddenly we just got this penalty out of nowhere. I thought, oh my God, we've somehow managed to claw this back after throwing it away. But yeah, I totally agree with you. I think Leluco was the right choice for the penalty in that situation with Martin but yeah, I would off, off the field. At the time I said Piazon. Because right, he's yeah. Brazilian, but I think it was purely because he was Brazilian. Right. And, you know, I was like, you know, he's going to score. But I think, I, I think, think, I think Piazon in that situation, we had Corley Woodrow, kind of a bit of an inexperienced, and Tom Kearney. I think we needed someone with a oh, head like a Luco to take. Hosebed's got quite a good Hosebed. penalty raking, yeah, yeah, penalty taking record. Yeah, Hosebed's record is very good. And is it? In Spain, he's well known to be sort of like a set piece specialist. Um, well, we 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 saw that in action, didn't we? Yeah, and that was a very like fantastic set piece and he's had that reputation for a long time um, he had a fantastic season with Rayo last season who unfortunately were relegated he was actually meant to move to Sevilla mm-hmm. um, but they refused to pay his release clause and his contract so he didn't make it so in actual fact Fulham sort of if you look at it this way have a Champions League pedigree player well, it's an incredible signing, really, when you look at it. And considering, yeah, considering the stature of the player, and yeah, stats-wise, he's not seen as Vallecano's best midfielder from last season. But in actual fact, if you look at what he does off the ball as well as on it, he's more of a complete player than any other midfielder we've got, in my opinion. Slightly biased. He does seem to. I don't like it though when he has like the last couple of games. He did it against Bristol, and he did it against QPR. And we've brought him on to play in the more defensive midfield yeah. role. Mm. I don't like him there because I think, well, he was responsible uh, for losing the ball a couple of times before Bristol two of Bristol City's goal and it was actually him that lost the ball uh, before the QPR goal, um, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think you're right. So I think, right. I think if we bring him on, I'd just like to see him go into that attacking midfield trio rather than try and replace Parker and Tunnicliffe, which is a difficult role for any person to come into a game late on yeah. and try and fill Parker and Tunnicliffe's boots, uh, breaking up the play. I just don't think that's his that's his. In bag. fairness, I don't no, think we had much of a choice. Um, I don't know. No, we were. We were yeah, I don't know if anyone else was on the bench but that could actually have played that role and Parker... Took a bit of a knock, didn't he? Yeah, I think both Parker and Kearney did take knocks, and that's why. Kearney wasn't happy when he went off. Was he not? He had a bit of a strop. Oh, interesting. Well, you've got a bit of an interesting theory about Kearney. You're not 100% sure um, about his attitude in the last couple. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not not convinced. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I I do think that Tom Kearney is is our best player by some distance, and I also think he's a a phenomenal footballer. But I'm not. 100% 100% convinced he's captain material uh, for a couple of reasons. One, um, on, on Saturday, Odoi got the ball on the right wing and played a channel ball for Kenny to, to run to. And it was it was quite a good ball. It was a very good idea, but it was, it was a slightly over hit. And the ball went out of play and Kenny turned around and absolutely lost the plot at Odoi. And I think Odoi was a bit taken aback because mm. he sort of was, you know, his face was like, well, that's... I thought that was quite good. And um, and Kenny sort of, you know, threw his toys out at the pram bit and then he did it again when he got substituted. And I also just don't think he's got the kind of right attitude to bring the team into play, especially when we go 2-1 down, 1-0 down mm. with not that long to play. I think we saw it against Burton a bit. that He wasn't he wasn't the one lifting them up, geeing them up. And, you know, in the way that Scotty Parker does that in a brilliant way, he's a yeah. brilliant, inspirational player on the pitch. And, you know, for a long time, I wasn't convinced by Scott Parker. And I've come round in a big, big way to the way he plays. Oh, massively. But, you know, for example, just, just as a point, you know, and I, as a ton of, self-confessed Tunnicliffe obsessive, I'm, you know, going <laughs> to get a bit, bit out there. But the way that Tunnicliffe, at one point, uh, we were in the 92nd minute, took the ball round the QPR play, got scythed down, and, you know, it was a horrible tackle. It was a, it was a card, I believe, was given out for it in the advantage. Got up again, won the ball again, drove into the middle of midfield and played an absolutely beautiful ball for Aluko. Aluko and Malone got mixed up, and then Aluko and Tanaktiv was so frustrated with the, the fact that they hadn't gone right. And a bit of himself, a bit like, why have you not mixed it up? It's the 92nd minute, come on, lads. And I just think that that's the kind of attitude that your captain's got to have. It's the kind of attitude that Scotty has. It's, you know, it's head of Kenny sort of, Give the ball to me. 
I'm quite good. Yeah. You know, I might make something happen. And, and, you know, a lot of the time he does, and I respect that, but that's not the attitude really you want your captain to have. You want him bringing everyone else in, bringing everyone up and trying to get the best out of everyone, especially in those, you know, dark moments. I think Tunnicliffe is just such a fantastic player. I think his work rate and energy and that move that you mentioned in the 92nd minute, uh, I think it was Aluko and was it Piazza on the mix? It was Aluko Malone. They got absolutely pillared by the stadium when that happened, <laughs> didn't they? Um, but yeah, I, I would agree with you that I think in the absence of Scott Parker that Ryan does seem to have more of the leadership qualities required of a captain. But then again, uh, and you saw this tweet earlier, Gary Lineker went on Twitter quite um, forcefully mm. saying that in England we overstate the importance of the captain role anyway. And this is only the vice captain we're talking about. Yeah, for me, like a captain is crucial to any sort of team in any sort of sport. He's, uh, he's a role model on the pitch, he's a role model off the pitch. I think for, uh, for Parker gives us that sort of, as, as Jack rightly points out, he gives us that sort of inspiration when we're down. He quite obviously leads by example in terms of both his running, his creativity, the way he wants to cover every blade of grass, despite the fact his legs clearly can't carry him that yeah. far anymore. But... Then again, it's off the pitch as well. You know, he's an authoritative player off the pitch. He's coached our younger ages. Um, and he no really knows what the club is about. And I think if you look at any great captain throughout history, whether that's like Carlos Puyol, whether it's like Raul, those sort of players, firstly, they know what the club is about and they know how to act. But then they lead by example on the pitch. And for me, like a captain has to be there. And for me right now, that captain has to be Scott Parker. I think Kenny could be a captain in the future. Yeah, agreed. I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to write him off. I just think he's oh. very young and, and immature to be yeah, put that, in that role. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, you know, actually, I think Tom is, is possibly the same age as Kenny, maybe a yeah, year they, or two older, but he's, he just seems to be much more of a mature player. A different and, type of player, yeah. You know, an engine room and that kind of. That's I mean, what I think the, captain. I, think I guess the, the only whole... thing against Tunnicliffe is some of his kind of off the field antics. Still, those have been yeah, blown up out of proportion. It has been a bit, but still, that is not. You I need... do you think that was a bit like friends having having a bit of a laugh? I still, to this day, <laughs> would argue that that was a bit friends having a laugh. <laughs> yeah. And they must know each other. They, they do we... know each other. Yeah. They, they were they were in the England uh, setup together oh, in the younger setup. And I, like for a fact, there was there was a couple of tweets last week where Ryan Fredericks was out for dinner with Patrick with Bamford, Bamford yeah. and was tweeting be like well hey Ryan Tunnicliffe wasn't invited I don't think I think this has been massively massively put out and I think the reason they came down hard on him was because they were a bit like well, this can't, you can't get away with this yeah, because yeah. it's starting to but yeah I mean if anyone if, if Lineker's really got that thing I, I, I don't know how you can have that attitude when we were all alive to watch the 2005 Champions League final like I, I've never seen yeah, a team be carried on the back of one man like like yeah. that day and I really don't think that that, that role can be understated and I mean, especially when you've played football as well like I've, I've played in you know football teams I'm not saying I've played in uh, Champions League finals or anything but I've had some like good captains over the years and you know it's a great team when you've got a great captain yeah, there's agree, so yeah. much importance on it well I think Lineker's the first guy to admit that Bobby Moore's been what was the best ever England captain and the best West Ham captain he's done numerous documentaries on the guy but then he's coming out and saying that we don't the importance shouldn't really be put on the captain. Like it's kind of it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And for me, I think Kearney is acting the way he is at the moment because he knows he's not playing particularly well. Yeah, I think things will turn around and I think he was quite poor against Forrest despite him uh managing to grab the goal. Talking about that Forest performance, moving away a little bit from Queen's Queen's Park Rangers. Uh, it was another quite decent performance from us away from home. We're still unbeaten on the road. All our defeats have come <laughs> at the cottage, whoever thought we'd say that? How mm. shit must you be? We're winning at home. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> um, is there any particular reason for this? Do you think it's again the way we set up, or do you think it's just a little bit uh, of an anomaly that we keep, keep seem to be losing at home and then doing all right away? I don't know. I've got a slight theory about this. I don't know if you guys want to chime in here, but I think the reason we're doing so well away from home is because of this clear identity we have as a football team to always bolster possession, be in control of most parts of the pitch, especially the middle and final third if we can. Really, the home team sort of expect to come out onto the pitch with an away team that wants to set up within that middle and like, latter third, i.e. protecting their own goal, sitting back, letting the home team come onto them, boss possession. Where we go out there, all guns blazing, we want to keep the ball. The home team really aren't used to it. You know, the away fans sort of get on their back a little bit more. 
and then it, it sort of swings into our advantage. And I mm. think that's why we've been so good on the road. And that's my personal opinion. I don't know if you guys agree. I'm fully on board with that theory, really. I think the way we set up, I, I, I totally agree. I think it is the way we set up and it we are a counter-attacking side and that does seem to play to our advantage. Plus, I think that playing at home uh, at the moment, they're kind of, especially some of these big grounds in the championship, I think fans are a lot quicker these days to get on the backs of the home side. And sometimes it must just be easier to be away from home and away from the pressures, even at Craven Cottage, you know, the slightest mistake. Um, and We're close as well, aren't we? We're close to the pitch at Craven Cottage. We're, it's a, you can hear everything. It's a tin. Like, they really does, you know, settle them in and... and which is a great thing when they think everything's going well. It's impossible for an away side to play against. Um, similar to like when you go to White Hart Lane or you used to go to the old Upton Park and mm. playing an away side when they're on top is just, well, things happen to your brain and you just start to make decisions that you wouldn't make normally. But I also think it's um, a curse when things aren't quite going as well because, yeah, they hear everything. Well, football fans, you know, are not fickle but they you know it's it's easy when you're nil nil at home after 45 minutes to get restless, to get restless yeah. and be like we haven't had any of the ball why are none of our players getting stuck in and it happens to us with you know mm. we're as bad as anyone else for doing it totally agree. but you know it's one of those ones where you get into those players and they're going oh god i better get out there and make that tackle and suddenly one two and you're one two and you're gone yeah and you know you've brought a couple of players out of the game because they've made a stupid decision that they wouldn't have made if they hadn't had the fans on their back and I think we're, we're guilty of it as much as anyone else, but I think that that suits us because of the way that we play so, so quick on the break. Mm. And especially with, you know, the front three that we played. At uh, times, some of, we touched on this, in, I think, last week, the sum of our passing sequences is so fast, so crisp, that we can move 15, 20, 25 yards in such a short amount of time. It's never on impossible to play against us, except when we get into the box and we can't finish. Well, yeah. Luco's chance in the first half where he ended up curling it slightly wide mm. comes from an absolutely glorious passage of play. It's like a five-pass move that has Luco at the edge of the box from within our own, you know, within the edge of our, of our own centre circle. And it's just it's an unbelievable sweeping move across the ball. And that disallowed goal um, in Forest, I think it's, it's the first one after the amazing play on the edge of the box and Kearney slides a pass all the way across the penalty area to Luco, who's on the far side and he curls it across the keeper. And he's marginally offside, according to the linesman. But according to the replays that we see on FulhamFC.com, he's on. He's played on by the right back by about two and a half yards, mm. I reckon. Um, it should have stood. And then that, that, and that completely changes play. the game if we, you know, take the lead rather than Forrest. And I believe Matt Smith's uh, goal. It was the, our second disallowed goal when it was at one all, and in the final ten minutes of the match. I think that's onside. I don't know if you guys have studied the replay, but the defender near him, he is in front of. But actually, if you look to the right-hand side of the picture, there is another defender um, who I am convinced is quite is playing Matt Smith onside, and you can see it from the lines on the pitch. I think that one's tighter. I think the Aluko one is a, is a stonewall yeah. wrong decision. Yeah, I think, I think so. the Smith one is is a bit also because he's so big. I think like he's sort of like gangling <laughs> yeah. around at he's the back post. You're sort of like, well, if his arms in front, he's off, isn't he? It's, mm. Oh no, your arm. Anything you can anything, score with. Anything yeah. you can score, isn't it? Yeah. So if any part of his body is ahead of him, which is possible when you're a bit of a lump like Matt Smith, then, you know. But I think that one's tighter. But yeah, I think they're both questionable calls. I think yeah, the thing we have to consider on the um, Matt Smith goal is that the defender for Forrest, is on the linesman's side of the pitch. So anything that Matt Smith is is past him or is going to make him look like he's offside in the same way that Aluko is on his side of the pitch for the first offside goal. So anywhere Aluko's in front of a Nottingham Forest player is going to look like he's offside yeah. as well. So I think we've been done out, done in there by the, uh, the side the referee's linesman's on. Sorry. No, exactly. And uh, Nicholas Bentner... <laughs> Of course he scored. <laughs> he was going to score against anyone. It's going to be us, right? Danny Graham didn't score in 32 goals, scored against us. You know, <laughs> if anyone's going to score Fence, a that goal... That first Bentner strike is absolutely sublime. 40 yards out, he just bashes it off the bar. <laughs> it's an absolute treat. It's the almost a bit of heartbreaking that it didn't go and it was such a good effort. You're like, well... You know, he deserved it. it well, he, was, did, he did have a good game. Then again, he should be a bit too good for this league because he yeah. at times cut it in the Premier League. And if, at times. That, he's he the third best like, player in the world, isn't he? Oh, he is. <laughs> Undoubtedly. <laughs> at times, though, um, you say like he's maybe a cut above this league. There are times where we're trying to get around him to get the ball off him. He's just shielding it, passing, passing and moving. 
like like he's never been away from the game. And in actual fact, he hasn't played in over six months, yeah. isn't it? And he hadn't scored in England in two years. Kasami yeah. had a good game as well, didn't he? Yeah. Right. Dangerous. At least he didn't um, hit a flipping rocket. Yeah, that's uh, true. So we look back at the Queen's Park Rangers game. Uh, for me, it's got to be one of the unluckiest defeats yep. that I can remember. I mean, I can't... I can't ever remember seeing a game. I don't think I've ever seen many missed penalties for Fulham in the past 10 years. We've we've always had quite a good record with penalty takers. We've had uh, Ross McCormack, I'm thinking of. I can think that... Um, Berbatov. Berbatov. The best Mur- penalty taker of all time. Mm. Murphy could Murphy, take a penalty. Fantastic. Did miss a very important one against City, which he followed up yes. and the net. Yeah. Um, was that in a two-all draw? No, it was in the 3-2 three, great, uh, three, mm. great escape game. And uh, a bit further back, Heide Helgerson could take a penalty. Yeah, correct. Um, so I don't it seems think he ever missed one for them, in fact. No, I don't think he did either. Um, so it was, a, it was an unlucky one. Two missed penalties, hit the woodwork, and uh, two pretty much open goals missed. Just wondered if you uh, could think of any other uh, particularly unlucky or lucky Fulham results over the years where really the result just completely didn't match yeah, the I performance. Can think, I can think of a particularly unlucky one, one that absolutely infuriates me literally to this day. We were playing Tottenham and they were in their horrendous purple kit um, and we had completely outplayed them all game. Um, the score was currently 1-1 going into about the 91st minute and Fulham are trying to bundle the ball in and it's literally going over the line and Kyle Walker trips over himself and sort of punches the ball round the post one of the most blatant handballs I've ever seen in my life and he claims it's come off his head they go right down the other end play the ball over the top and Jermaine Defoe goes round Hangerland and slots it past Mark Schwarzer and they win the game and I was absolutely furious that the referee didn't see this I can't remember this am I being uh, I don't know I just I don't remember this game it's certainly happened it's emblazed in the front of my memory <laughs> it rings bells it rings bells yeah. I mean, it, it, he's l- literally laying down on the goal line to stop the ball. But the one that uh, I thought about, I think was at a similar time, was when we lost to um, Arsenal and Vita Manone. Had the game of his life. Yeah. Absolute game yeah. of his life. And they, and they won 1-0, I think Van Persie scored yeah. in the 50th minute. I remember being in the Hammersmith end and he pulled off save after save. Bobby Zamora must have had uh, four or five Guilt edge chances and Manone just saved every single one of them. Yeah, I remember that game. And he, you know, and Arsenal, I was talking to Arsenal fans about that game re- recently, actually, and they were like, it was the only good game he ever had at the club. <laughs> and, you know, there we are, Fulhamish. <laughs> uh, but a particularly lucky one uh, that I think many Fulham fans would agree has got to be um... United away. Oh, were you going to say that? Yeah. I was actually going to say Newcastle away. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. When. The 4-1. 20, I looked at the stats earlier, uh, found them up. 26 shots Newcastle had, 20 of those on target, and 19 corners compared to Anne Nunn, uh, and we won 4-1. I mean, uh, that's one of those performances that kind of went down in folklore. We had four chances, and they were all four fantastic goals. But yeah, that United away with the... Um, are you talking about the 80 crosses? Dan Burns won good game <laughs> yeah. in the film shirt. Dan Burn must have had a sore head for about three weeks after that game. <laughs> well, he then, um, afterwards in the press conference, didn't he then uh, say they were like a conference team? I don't remember that. No? What? Yeah, he did. He went on afterwards, and I think he was just saying, he was trying to say, oh, it was like matches I've played when I was playing in the conference, but obviously <laughs> the press take anything like that, and then uh, it was plastered on every front page, back and back page uh, the next day. Dan Burn, Man United conference team. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's a couple I had quite a lot of lucky ones in fact of recently I've thought of um, and one of them our last well, our first game in the Premier League in our last season there we beat Sunderland 1-0 away oh my and god Kasami and we scored all got a header. three away shirts yeah Kasami yeah. scored a header and it was just one of the worst games I've ever seen yes. Fulham play we were absolutely terrible oh, yeah. and they must have missed 30 chances actually and the worst culprit of all was Adam Johnson who had just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net, and I don't know, but it was. I remember watching that game. I didn't get to go up. I think I was. Um, I think I remember being on holiday, but I remember watching it. And um, yeah, that was a dreadful, dreadful game. Amazing to think how the season we got relegated. We won the first game of the season away from home. You'd have thought that was a pretty good omen. Because yeah. Mohamedou Diara should have been sent off about three times over in that game, if yeah. I remember rightly. He was absolutely outclassed and was taken off. At, I think just after half time. 
We were fully desperate that day, like desperate. One yeah. of the worst performances I've ever seen. Yeah, we were like lumping it everywhere, weren't we? Yeah. Long balls everywhere. I remember that quite vividly, being one of the worst Fulham performances <laughs> I've ever seen. We've come out of a win. <laughs> Three points. Yeah, exactly. I'm actually remar- like, I'm very surprised that Sunderland managed to stay up that season. I think they did because they walloped us 4-1 at home and Johnson scored a hat-trick. Yeah, correct. Yeah. I was in the season when they... Um, Swings and roundabouts, huh? And they beat Chelsea away and they were the first team to... Yeah, win at get win at Stamford Bridge under Mourinho. I mean, they were the reason we went down that year. Was Sunderland? They deserved it. Though. Yeah, they, they did. Were, they were they were unbelievably good towards the end of the season. I remember watching them be like, "Well, we've, we've, this is over." Yeah. Yeah, they do finished. it every year. They're so infuriating. It's yeah. the longest relegation of all time. Hopefully, they'll go down. <laughs> they'll go down this year. <laughs> Fingers we crossed. We beat Liverpool two 0 in two thousand and five, and this is there's a good story attached to this one, which was is it the Johnny Haynes Day. Yes, it was the Johnny Haynes Day, and we. They played a really, really weak 11, and we won 2-0 at home. And Neil Warnock lost his rag because it was the game that the three points kept us up. Well, oh, they, no, secured th- yeah. our, they secured our season status, and basically Warnock went on a run about how mm. Benitez had... So many players, because they, they had the Champions League final. Yes. On, the, on the Wednesday. It and wasn't the Johnny Haynes Day. Johnny Haynes Day was... was uh, 2007. Yeah, was it was a different season. But yeah, um, no, that, I, but, but we... Played poorly that game, didn't we? We didn't deserve to beat. It wasn't. We didn't really deserve to beat them. We, it wasn't. It wasn't one of the worst. But it wasn't like yeah. a, a real luck. But the fact that they had that Champions League final could have kept us up that season. We were going much. down that season. We were, in we, tr- were, we were in real trouble. We were abysmal that season. Yeah. I think that was a real uh, stroke of luck. In our relegation season, I remember us having a very, very lucky uh, win over Norwich. They completely dominated us for long periods yes. of time, and Rod Eager like bobbled one in right towards the end, I believe, under Magat. That was a pretty horrendous performance from us. Playing. Sean Kavanagh did the same for us in another Norwich game in our yeah. first season of the Championship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, we just like being Norwich. Well, they're coming up in uh, ten in we, ten days' time. We could so, do with it, couldn't yeah, we? Yeah, we really could. Be a nice duck to break. Chaps, do you fancy playing this game? Go on, absolutely. Then. Okay, so we've got a theme tune. Okay, welcome to Play Your Managers Right. I'm your host, Sammy James, and this is how well you know different Fulham managers and how long they were in charge for. It's effectively a game of higher or lower, uh, and we'll see who is the winner. Uh, Contestant number one, what's your name and where do you come from? I'm Ben Jarman, I come from Chelmsford in Essex. Contestant number two, what's your name and where do you come from? I'm Jack Collins, and I come from London. Beautiful stuff. So, right, this game is fairly simple. I've got a list here, and this was slightly inspired by Sam Allardyce's 67 Days in Charge. So I've got uh, a list of managers here and how long uh, they were in charge for. In uh, Some of them are days, sometimes them are months and days, and some of them are years, months and days. Uh, I will ask you uh, one by one uh, whether it is higher or lower than the previous person. Now, uh, it's a bit... I, I worked this out earlier. Um, it is a little bit unfair. Has anyone got a coin? Here we go. There's a slight advantage to going second. So okay. I'll flip a coin, and whoever gets it gets to go second, right? Uh, and if you get it right, I'll give you one of these. And if you get it wrong, I'll give you one of these. And I, I, I think to make it uh, a little more interesting, you each have a life. So okay. you can get one wrong, and then um, after that, if you get a second one wrong, you're out and the other person wins, okay? Right, so, uh, Jack, I'll let you do the honours. Heads or tails? Heads. Okay. Heads it is. So you get to go second. Ben, you're going first, all right? Okay, yep. So I will start you off uh, with Sam Allardyce. So we're going to start with Sam Allardyce, okay? And the next person is Rennie Mullenstein. Was Rennie Mullenstein a fuller manager longer than Sam Allardyce was England manager? Is it higher or lower? I can I literally, I literally can only remember him being in charge for a li- around about three matches which would equate to about two weeks, wouldn't it? But are you including when he was brought in as an advisor? No, no, no. When he took over from Yol, I think after the West Ham game, uh, he was fired, uh, Martin Yol, and then Rennie Mullenstein took charge. So was he in charge for a lo- uh, higher or lower amount of days than Sam Allardyce's England boss? I'm going to go for higher, but I think I might lose his life. You bang on. Rennie Mullenstein was manager for 75 days <laughs> compared to Sam Allardyce's 67. So you've still got a life. You're still in play. Jack, it's on to you. 
Paul Bracewell. Oh, 97, 98. Okay, so was Paul Bracewell in charge for a uh, higher or lower amount of days than Rennie Mullenstein? Oh, good question. I'm going to say higher. Bang on. Uh, 10 months and 13 days, or 318 days. Oh, uh, well higher. Uh, between 1999 and 2000. Okay. Hang on. Wasn't... Oh, no, Bracewell played 97 days. I was yeah, going to say, yeah, Carl became... Heinz Riedler was the yeah, caretaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. It's good, it's good, it's fine. So, uh, next, back to Ben. You still both got a life. Mark Hughes. Was he a higher or lower amount of days than Paul Bracewell, who was in charge for 10 months and 13 days... Was Mark Hughes there longer or shorter than that? I think, uh, in this instance, I think I'm going to go for higher. I, he was in charge for a season, wasn't yeah, he? I so, yeah. I, he was pretty much May to June, wasn't he, if I believe? Yes. You bang on, you bang on. Mark Hughes, though, not much longer. 11 months and four days. So only less than a month longer than uh, Paul Bracewell because he joined in the 20, on the 29th of July 2010 and then uh, he left and resigned on the 2nd of June 2011. By the way, um, I, I only got these off Wikipedia. So, I mean, <laughs> they, they might not be exactly bang on, but uh, fairly close. Okay, Jack. I think this one uh, could be a bit easier. Chris Coleman, was he in charge... Uh, for a higher or lower amount of days than Mark Hughes's 11 months and four days. Higher. Obviously, Chris Coleman from April 2003 to April 2007. Three years, 11 months and 25 days. So we're back with Ben. You've both still got a life. You might get to the end of this and uh, you've still got both your lives. You're doing quite well. well. So next up, Roy Hodgson. Okay, so Roy Hodgson, one of the greatest managers in our history... But was he there a higher or lower amount of days than Chris Coleman's three years and 11 months? Um, I want to say lower, but I, I believe only by a tad. I don't, I, my head wants to say he was there for four years, but he wasn't. He was there for much less, 2007 to 10, wasn't he? And then he, Liverpool nicked him off us after the final. So you got what? Is that your final answer? Yeah, lower. Bang on again. My God, you guys are brilliant at this. Okay, I think we're getting a little harder now. Martin Yole. So was Martin Yole there for less, for higher or lower time, I keep getting this wrong, uh, than Roy Hodgson's two years, six months and four days. So was Martin Yole higher or lower than two years and six months, Jack? So Yole took over from Hughes. Yep. Mm. And he definitely lost the job in December of that year. So that means he was from June, we discovered, to December. What was what was the one before? What was Hodgins? Two years, six months, oh, and four days. Very tight. I'm going to go lower. Oh, you've just got it. Two years, five months, and 25 days. So only just by a matter of about 10 days. He was there slightly less time. Okay, uh, Ben, back to you. You've still both got a life. I might just take away your lives now and make this more interesting. How many are left? I'm just going to fall over at this hurdle right now. <laughs> Kit Simons. So with Kit Simons, higher or lower than two years, five months and 25 days? Lower. Yeah, this one's quite easy. Bang on. You're still in the game. So you've lost your life now, so it's all, it's all, it's all to play for, thing. Jack. Kevin Keegan. Ooh. Was he there less than Kit Simons, who was in charge for one year, one month, and 22 days? I think he was higher. We'd go higher. Bang on again. Yeah, it's two years, wasn't it? Nearly two years. No. Very, very little in it. Oh, no. You've um, you actually got that wrong. Oh. I'm so sorry. Well, one year, oh. one year, six days, 371 days he got in charge. Off by England, didn't he? Yes. So he was less, slightly less than Kit Simons. So I'm, I'm afraid, Jack, lost, that means it? Ben is the champion. Thank you. What'd you win? <laughs> uh, I'll buy a chocolate bar next week. Sounds good to me. Right, there we go. Good shout job. Out, shout out to Marcelo Bielsa, though, who is in charge of Lazio this summer for a grand total of two days. Two days? <laughs> two days, What yeah. went wrong? <laughs> they basically promised that he could sign four players Um when as soon as he signed his contract, he signed his contract and he said, "Where's my players?" And they said uh, they haven't even got in contact with them. So he's like, 
I'm leaving. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. The record, I believe, is something like three hours. There was a bloke who signed a contract and then three hours later they replaced him with someone else. I can't oh, remember. Wow. Um, he <laughs> was like a caretaker manager and they brought in someone three hours later. It was someone, somewhere like Wolves or I believe it's someone with a yellow shirt. I could be wrong. Was it Claudio Reyna? No. Who joined, no, not as a manager, but as a player. I think joined Man City or Bolton. I can't remember which way round it was uh, for about an hour. I see. He took. I think he took the photo at the stadium, and in the last minute, he'd already taken the photo. And before that, it and uh, Bolton. I, I believe he thought he joined Bolton and then joined Man City at the last minute. Um, That's brilliant. He took the photo and everything, and then his agent went, "Oh no, City of um, City of matched your offer, or whoever it was he went to." So even after he'd taken the photo and Bolton had put the press release up saying they'd signed Claudio Reyna. Uh, he then went off to another club. I think that was quite a funny one with Palermo as well, who sacked their manager at the start of the season, replaced him with a, another manager, sacked him, and then replaced him with the manager that started the season. <laughs> about must have been about a month and a half afterwards, and then they've they've continuously switched managers. Again, Chilino's their owner in yes. Leeds, so you know what kind of club that is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, Chilino's. Um, had uh, many more managers than he's had years in charge of Palermo. Is it something like nearly 40 managers he's gone through in yeah. that time? Yeah. It's well, obscene. That... It's an obscene something, amount of people going through that club. Something like 21 managers in, in the last 15 years. Well, I mean, Leeds would be... Uh, catching them. Catching them up if they uh, don't uh, hang about with uh, Gary Monk for a bit longer. And Di Matteo's we gone, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah same before the pod, we were talking about Di Matteo and how Aston Villa are completely mirroring Fulham from the 14-15 season. Yes. No, you were saying about the sequence of well yeah right? uh, well get relegated uh, by Ross McCormack figure out the uh, championships harder than you thought and then uh, sack your manager I won't take credit for that that was a tweet I saw earlier on Twitter but I mean I've they got... literally are the Fulham um, of a few years ago I've got a bet on them to double drop currently Ooh. sitting 19th so you could be on for that what's to get on that well, in Venice they were almost relegated by the time I put it on I think I got about 20 to 1 on it I've got 5 on it Wigan so. double dropped when they went down, didn't they? Yeah, I really did think uh, they're in a, they're a club in turmoil, absolute mm. turmoil behind the scenes on the pitch. Like they're the in fa- real trouble. The fact that their chairman displaces business plans and ideas on Twitter in 140 <laughs> characters, he's a nutter. Yeah, like he's a full on nutter. We thought, you know, we, our, like our chairman was a bit bad, bad he's but this guy's level. an absolute nut man. Yeah, we thought Fernandez was bad. What did you see his Did you see his picture after the game? No. Oh, God, he posted I don't want a to. picture with Washington and Smithies being like, Connor Washington didn't stop running and just Smithies, wow. <laughs> <laughs> One, this doesn't make any sense. If you ever take an Air Asia flight, it sums up Queen's Park Rangers perfectly. Disgraceful. Right, well, if Aston Villa do get relegated, Jack, the drinks are on you. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much uh, for your sterling work this week. Uh, ben, congratulations. You are the uh, Player Manager's Right champion. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for all your kind comments about the podcast. Uh, we're up to 2,500 downloads now uh, from just a few Amazing. episodes. We won't be back next week because it's the international break, but I may have an interview with a special guest uh, this week as a bonus episode as a, with a celebrity Fulham fan, but it's not confirmed yet, so it might not happen. But keep your eyes peeled. There could be a bonus episode of Fulhamish coming over the international break. But... Uh, gents, uh, we'll hopefully see you soon, and Fulhamish will return after the Barnsley game. So, uh, with some more success, hopefully. Let's flip and hope. So, let's hope we uh, bring this horrific sequence to an end. Have a good evening, gents. Take it easy. Thank you. Thank you.